And so I'm going to ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 3, if you would, with me. Please take your Bibles or the Bible provided there for you. Just turn to the front, okay? And find the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. As you're turning there, I do want to encourage you, if you possibly can, to come to our congregational meeting tonight, an important time. Uh, we'll be celebrating many things that God's done in 2016, and we will be talking about the year ahead. Uh, we also will be uh, talking about some of the folks that are transitioning onto our staff and welcoming them. And so I want you to know about that. And then also, of course, we have the voting of our budget. We have the uh, voting for our deacons. And, and also a time for us to, as a church, to gather and, and pray specifically for families going through a very, very difficult, challenging time. And pray for one of our brothers for his restoration. And we'll be doing that tonight. So I encourage you to come as a part of the family, be a part of that family uh, gathering tonight at 6 o'clock. Recently, uh, Susan and I were talking with some friends, and uh, those friends as well, uh, like Susan and myself, from the uh, Midwest, uh, who grew up uh, experiencing life there in the Midwest, and we were talking a little bit about that, and we were reminiscing about County fairs, county fairs. How many of you in your growing up days, county fair was a big deal? Raise your hand. All right, okay. I mean a big deal, especially if you grew up in a county that had agriculture as, as its primary resource in terms of the economy. It was a big, big deal, and you know what? It was a whole lot of fun. I mean, there was no school. Schools let out when we had the county fair up in my hometown uh, area, home county. And I remember a couple of things about those uh, county fairs. One thing I remember, uh, being from in town myself and not out in the country, I remember the terrible smells of the county fair. Really smelly, all right? And then also remember some wonderful smells because there always was great food. Wonderful food that was provided at the county fairs. And every fair also was such a blast because every fair had a carnival. And you could just go enjoy the day with your friends. There were rides, there were games. And I remember something that was always in every one of those carnivals at every county fair, maybe you remember, there was always a house of mirrors. Do you remember those things? And you would go in with your friends and what a blast you would have because you would go in front of those mirrors and your, your image would be completely just weirded out, all right? And then you'd see your friends and you'd fall on the floor just laughing. And of course, you'd make faces into the mirror and that even added to all of that. It was, it was a really amazing thing. But you know, sometimes you wound your way through there and after a while, you're getting tired of the strange images a little bit. And quite frankly, though, you'd never tell your friends, you're really glad to get out. <laughs> Here's a question. What if you couldn't? What if you couldn't get out? What if it just went on and on and on? And when you got out, 
In a sense, the world was still filled with distorted images. And your image was distorted. And the whole world was populated with images like that. Some of you may be seen saying, I, I think I saw that episode of the Twilight Zone. You may be thinking, I think I saw that. Well, as far as I know, that was never an episode of the Twilight Zone. But let me tell you something. It is the real world. The real world, it is our world. And in reality, according to the Bible, the distorted images are us. The real us. You see, the Bible tells us as we began last week in this series that we are made in his image. Incredible, amazing, overwhelming truth. That every human being is made in the image of God. But if that is true, and it is absolutely true, how has the image of God become so distorted? How can the billions and billions of people on this planet be so unlike the God we've been singing about this morning. How can we be so distorted? How can we be so unlike the reality of the one whose image we bear? An even bigger question, what can we do about that? What can we do about that? What do we do? What is the answer for his distorted image? The image of God has been distorted in mankind and in every one of us. What can we do about that? Well, let's just begin at the source of the distortion. How about there? Many times I find, don't you, that the answer to the problem is found in the source of the problem. And let's read about this. Genesis chapter 3. I want you to follow along, if you would, with me, please, in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 3. And let's read how God's image, the image of God and the image bearers of God, became so distorted. The Bible says this in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate 
and also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's where this world became a house of mirrors filled with distorted images in the very lives of people who are the image of God. That's how it all began. What that means to us, how we deal with that, how we recognize that, and how we are able in some measure to live beyond that. All of it's here in this story. Because in the terrible story is also the wonderful answer. Now let's back up and see how was it possible that in paradise such a disaster could take place. How did it happen? Well, notice some things. It began, notice first of all, with disrespect of God. Disrespect of God, a misrepresentation of God, if you will. And the misrepresentation was first made by the master of smoke and mirrors himself. He's Satan. Here in this story, he takes the form of a snake. And how, how appropriate that is. He's called in the Bible, the old serpent, the devil. He's there in the garden, Satan. And now notice his cunning craftiness. Notice how cunning he is. He does not come to the image bearers, Adam and Eve. He does not come to these image bearers with a direct attack on God. He knows that will not work. 
Adam and Eve know God. They love God. And so he does not come with a direct attack on God. No, he comes with a question. Did you notice this? It's the first question recorded in the Bible. It's the first question. And what is the question? The question is not just a question. There is a purpose behind the question. The question is an insinuation. It's an insinuation. It is a questioning of God's truthfulness. A questioning of God's truthfulness. Notice verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty, that is cunning, than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now notice this. What is Satan's first Assault on mankind. It's cunningly a questioning of God's word. Satan put a question mark where God put a period. God said you shall not eat of this tree or you will die. And Satan... So did God actually say that? He, he begins with a questioning of whether truth is absolute or truth is relative. Did God actually say this? First, Satan questioned God's message. Did he really say this? And then... He questioned, notice, God's motives. He first questioned his message and then he questioned God's motives. Notice he goes from questioning God's truthfulness. Did God actually say this? To questioning God's trustworthiness. Look at verses four and five. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. You will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see the progression here? He begins by questioning the truthfulness of God. And then he questions not just God's message, but he questions the motive. He questions God's heart. What he does here is puts a doubt into Eve's mind. The idea is God's not really being honest with you. And then he moves on to God's really not good. Oh, I know he shows himself to be good and he, and he is good, but he's not really good because he knows what something he doesn't want you to know. He is experiencing something he doesn't want you to experience. God's really holding back from you. You see, and here's his hissing lie. God is greedy of his godhood. He doesn't want to share his godhood with you. What's Satan doing? He's speaking out of his own evil heart. The one 
who be eons before had said he would be like the most high. Right? Remember this? And now he brings out of his own evil this sinister lie. God is not really good. He's holding back. And if you will just go ahead and express your freedom, why you will know what it's like to be God. And Eve listened. She listened. There's a lesson for you, friends. Never listen to a snake. Even if the snake has two legs. Never listen to a snake who questions the word of God, who questions the motives of God. Eve listened, and then it went a little further. Notice this, Eve listened to Satan, and then notice she looked. She looked. She's looking, though, in the wrong direction. She's not looking to God. She begins looking elsewhere. She begins to focus and really change her focus from a focus on God and who she is in God and she begins to look at what is withheld from her. Her focus is displaced. It's a displaced focus from God. That's the next step downward here. No sin has happened yet. Nothing has violated but there is a step in the wrong direction there is a focus that's displaced verse 6 says this so when the woman look at verse 6 when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her And he ate. Now do you see the change of focus? Eve's focus changes from her creator to the created. She changes her focus from the creator, the one who has made her in his image. And she begins to focus her attention, her desire on things that God has created rather than focusing on the one who is the creator. She changes her focus from the creator to the created and then notice this, it's very subtle. Eve's focus changes from her liberty to her limitation. She has complete liberty Any of the trees, any of the fruit, any of this vegetation and all of its delightfulness, it is all yours. Everything is yours. The world is yours. Paradise is yours. She changes her focus from all the liberty she has and she focuses on the one limitation. 
That's where Satan wanted her to focus. Not to think about her liberty. He wanted to focus on her one limitation. The Bible says Eve saw. She intently gazed at this fruit. And she saw that it was good for the food. It was delightful to the eyes. It was desired to make one wise. It became bigger and bigger and more and more luscious in her mind. She became focused on what was forbidden. God had said, this one thing is off limits. And her focus was placed on what was forbidden. And as she focused on it, it became bigger and more desirable and more wonderful to her. This is the very definition, friends, of the beginning of lust. Not, not sexual lust, but worldly desires. Desiring what has been forbidden. The forbidden becomes our focus. Isn't it interesting? Thousands of years later, the Apostle John, writing to Christians would say to those Christians and would say to us today, what did he say? Love not the world, the cosmos, meaning the values of the world, the items of this world which are forbidden. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, what does he say? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. What was it that Eve focused on? She saw the fruit, that it was good for food, lust of the flesh. That it was delightful to the eyes, lust of the eyes. And desired to make one wise. The pride of life. You see what's being described here. Entering into this image bearer's life is selfishness. Self-focus. A focus away from God to a focus on self. A focus on not our liberty but our limitations, a focus on what is forbidden. And that focus is beginning to have an impact in her heart. Selfishness is coming. The, the very DNA of sin. What is the building block of sin? The building block of sin is selfishness. I want this. You can have it. You can be more than you are. Get free from those, those chains of religion that hold you back. Get free from all that legalistic 
teaching of some things are right and some things are wrong, you grow and experience what it means to be your own person. Does this sound up to date? This is how we sell cars today. This is how we sell cereal today. This is how we tell people to find their career path today. Selfishness, it is the DNA of sin. And it leads to a sinful betrayal. And this is what I want you to see. It led her to a disloyalty to God. This image bearer is displacing her focus and it leads to a, a disloyalty. What happened? What brought the devastation? What happened? Well, verse six, here's what happened. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that was delight to the eyes, that it was a tree desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. That's it. A bite out of the apple? A bite out of the apple and the whole world goes to hell? Really? A bite out of an apple? And all that's wrong flows out of this? No, it's not. It's not the bite out of the apple. It's, it's not the bite of the apple. What it is, is the betrayal that's in the bite. It's a betrayal. It's a betrayal of God. It is the image bearer saying to the very one in whom she and he have been made, we will be the ones to decide what we do. You say no, we say yes. It is betrayal. And therefore, in betraying God, guess what? They don't understand they're doing. They're betraying themselves because they're made in the image of God. They think they can do this and it won't have any effect on them. But they are made in the image of God. And in betraying God, they are betraying their very identity. What is the essence of sin? What is sin? What's happening here? Sin is rebellion. Sin is treason. It's high treason against God. That's what sin is. It's not a bite out of the apple. It's not just a little mistake. It is treason against our God. And therefore, it's against ourselves. We betray ourselves who are made in his image. We swing at God and we hit ourselves in the face. Now notice what happened. Outwardly, nothing happened. 
Nothing happened. There was no lightning. There was no earthquake. There was no fire and brimstone. They still looked the same. Matter of fact, their taste buds were singing the hallelujah chorus. But the juice of that fruit was the nectar of destruction. The juice of that fruit was the nectar of destruction because even those, those image bearers, Adam and Eve, even though they looked the same, they weren't the same. They weren't the same and they knew it. In that moment, these living images, they are living image bearers of life and beauty. That's what they are. They are the reflectors, the image bearers on this creation of life and beauty in God. And in that moment, they became living images of death and distortion. They're image bearers, but immediately there's cracks in the mirror. In the image that they reflect, there's cracks in their mirror. And I want you to notice some of the things that happen out of this disloyalty to God. What happened inside of these people? And friends, listen carefully. As you look at what happened to Adam and Eve, let's look carefully at ourselves because our disloyalty causes the same thing. What happened? Notice. Let me give you these four words to describe it. This distortion of the image of God. What, how, what, how do we see it? Number one, you see it in the aversion. There's an aversion from God. Verse eight, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and in a man and his wife did what? hid themselves. Notice that. God walking, same God, same loving and kind Father. He's a good, good Father. But rather than running to Him as they always had before, they're hiding from Him. They're hiding from the presence of the Lord. And he's calling out to them, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Hiding from their father. What a distortion. Can you imagine hiding from the source of goodness and kindness? Hiding from the source of your life? Hiding from the one who's provided paradise for you? Hiding from the one who created you and made you in his image? Hiding from him? What a distortion this is. Hiding from the completely good and kind one. What is it that Disloyalty to God causes us to do, to hide from him. The distortion of who he is. We, we forget his loving kindness and his goodness and we can't bear that. And we flee from him. There's this aversion from intimacy with God. 
That's, that's the first indication that the image bearers have had something terrible happen. They are avoiding God. And then God calls out to them and as what happens is, de is defined, notice the next thing that shows the image has been marred is the diversion. The diversion. Oh, they've learned how to divert responsibility. <laughs> Isn't this something? Verse 11. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? What a great gentleman he is. The woman whom you gave me. She tempted me. Can you believe this? Blame shifting on his wife, but in reality, blame shifting on God. If you hadn't given me this woman, my life wouldn't be messed up. If you had not put this relationship here, everything would have been fine. said to the woman, what have you done? The serpent. This is thousands of years before the comedian of the 60s, Flip Wilson. But the devil made me do it. Some of you younger, Google that, okay. <laughs> I, I don't recall him myself, but that's, understand. <laughs> the, the devil made me do it. It's not my fault. It's the devil. Where did the devil come from? Who made the devil? Broken image bearers. Diverting responsibility. My husband. My wife. My parents. My parents have ruined my life forever. The abuse that I suffered from them has ruined me forever and God, you permitted it. I'm trashed for the rest of my life. I'm damaged goods. My parents, my wife, my boss, my job. Oh, and here's a good one. It's a lousy government. It's the government that's ruining everything. How are you supposed to be the kind of person God wants you to be when you got a government like ours? I mean, who is going to be able to be a consistent image bearer when you live in such a messed up government as we do? See what happens? We refuse to look in the mirror. We refuse to look at our own reflection. We don't want to come to God because we're afraid in the beauty of God we might see our own reflection. 
And then there's not just aversion and diversion, but then it gets into relationships and relationships are, are ruined, are being ruined by this subversion. Everything is just subverted. There's a curse on everything. The earth is cursed. There's a curse of pain. There's a curse of the toil of work. All these curses come out of this disloyalty to God, this treason to God. But the curse isn't something outside of us, folks. The curse is inside of us. Notice we're told here in chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth your children. Now, listen carefully. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Though that is not a word of marriage and beauty, that is a word of the curse. Your desire shall be for your husband. The word desire here means a desire to control, a desire to dominate. Your desire will be out of this. You no longer have this beauty and harmony in your relationship. Your desire will be to control your husband and he will rule over you. And the word rule here means dictatorial rule. This is, not a, this is not a formula for marriage, as some people seem to think. This is the curse. And it's not just about marriage, it's about relationships. We want to control people. And we're out to dominate people. And any way that we can use, that, that comes out of this curse, you see. What is it doing? It's, a, it's assuming the place of God. Let me be in control. Let me decide what's going to happen. And friends, ultimately it leads to not just aversion and diversion and subversion, but it ultimately this leads into perversion. Life away from Eden. Life away from the presence of God. Life away from the Lord of glory is just a downward spiral. Becomes a life of hating and hating those made in his image. And that's exactly what happened. Look in chapter four. The first child born, Cain, What was in his heart? Look at verse 8 of chapter 4. Cain spoke to Abel's brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. He murdered his brother. He murdered his fellow image bearer. The downward spiral is the life away from Eden, the life away from the presence of God. Friends, listen, it's not evolution. It's not what the Bible is describing here. It's devolution. It's it's downward. 
And what an awful spiral it is. Paul perfectly describes what life away from Eden is like. You have your Bible. <clears throat> I want to just take a moment to close here. But I want you to listen to how Paul, by the Holy Spirit, describes life away from God, the devolution of mankind in image bearers. It's in Romans chapter 1, it's page 939. I hope you'll find it. It's not on the screens. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Where did this all start? Has God actually said? Suppressing the truth. What happens when you suppress the truth? You suppress the truth for the purpose of unrighteousness. Truth is for righteousness. When we suppress the truth, we suppress it for unrighteousness. For verse 19, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They didn't want the truth, they wanted a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were concerned, consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. 
all of that, all of that exchanging of truth for evil has come to us where now millions of people march to give glory and demand rights for these very debased activities. This is how far we are. And it's not just outside of us, friends, it's inside of us. Chapter 3, Romans, verse 10. None is righteous, no, not one. Hey, none of us is righteous. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues they use to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. There you have people generally, Romans 1. And people individually, Romans Three. This is man in the mirror. This is, can you imagine? This is the image bearers. How distorted. And friends, I want to tell you, as I read these verses, listen, I see way too much of my own reflection in these things. How about you? Do you feel encouraged yet? <laughs> no, not, not yet. Well, let me quickly just encourage you. The bad news is this. Here's the bad news. You can't fix this. We can't fix this. That's the bad news. You cannot fix this distorted image. But here's the good news. You don't have to. <laughs> the good news is the first good news and it is the promise of a redeemer. The promise of a deliverer. Back in our text and we'll open there next week. The very first promise is the promise made in the midst of all of that distortion and sin God said I am sending a deliverer and he's going to crush the enemy's head. And thank God that deliverer has come and the deliverer is not man's pursuit of enlightenment. The deliverer is not more education. The deliverer is not more government. What the deliverer is God himself in Christ. And he is able to deliver us. Why? Because as terrible as this sin is, as terrible as this is, friends, you know what the Bible says? Where 
Sin has abounded. Grace has superabounded. There is grace from God in his son Christ that is greater than all of our sins. You may be guilty of every sin that Paul has just described and your sin is not more powerful than the grace of God in Christ. Not just to cover your sin, but to change your heart. He is the answer for us in this room and for everyone in this world. The answer is Christ, amen? Now, Lord, as we sing to you, may we give praise for the marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would bring the reality of our broken images to our hearts. Bring that to our hearts. And now, Lord, bring us to look to the answer in Jesus Christ, our Lord. May we run to Christ, who is the answer. Grace in him. Grace that is greater than all our sin.